Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For lo, he that formed the mountains and created the winds and declared unto man what is his thought, that makes the morning darkness and treads upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the Lord God of hosts is his name. That is Amos chapter 4 from verse 12 to 13. And those who know their Bibles well will understand that this is how God speaks when it comes to coming and warning of judgment. It's so important now more than ever for us to know and understand God's character, who he is, how he thinks, how he speaks. Because when you know the word of God, the more you will know God himself intimately, building that relationship with him and having a thirst for righteousness. As David says in the Psalms, we're not, which are not just nice songs, by the way, there is much prophecy and teaching within all of the Psalms of David. In fact, much of what Jesus speaks when, he's, uh, when he walked the earth, when he was teaching his disciples, was affirming things that were so said about him in the Psalms by David, because he was fulfilling prophecies. And David was called a man after God's heart because he knew God's character. And this is not possible. It's not possible for you to know God's character by just reading one paragraph somewhere in the New Testament or listening to a preacher of some sort in your religious building that claims to interpret the scriptures for you. It takes much more than that. It takes you actually having a commitment to getting to know God yourself. It takes you actually wanting, wanting to chew the scriptures without offense, as in to eat the word of God, as he calls it, spiritual food, that we should be eating just as much as our normal daily food, that you have strong jaws to chew on the word of God and not be offended by the things that you read. This is how God knows you actually know him, not to pick out the parts where you're like, well, that doesn't really sound like God. God doesn't do that. God's not hateful. God's not... uh, Uh, destroying things. God doesn't um, judge. God is not this. God is not that. He's just all love. He's all compassion. And that's depending on who defines what that kind of love is. Oh, he sympathizes with sin. He does not condemn the wicked. He doesn't... All of that is incorrect. And you would only know that when you read the scriptures in its entirety, from Genesis to Revelation, over and over and over again. And he feeds you with that spiritual knowledge and understanding and wisdom to then know as we get more and more into the end times, as we are increasing and abounding in deception from the wicked, in deception from Satan and his minions, that it will only, as it says, he who endures to the end in the book of Revelation, repeated over and over again, shall be the one that actually stands. He who endures to the end shall receive the crown of life. We already literally see this happening, that there is something already called uh, a Gen Z gospel, okay, which is where they have taken, I don't they've taken a few of the scriptures or the stories from the gospels where Jesus walked the earth as the son of God in the flesh, God manifest in the flesh, and have turned it into some kind of slang, 
joke, using using just those like slang words for the that generation or what have you and trying to tell the story in like this funny mocking way and it's a literal printed book now this is the new bibles ai uh changed and people making little thin magazines with a bunch of pictures in them and some funny little paragraphic quotes of of gen z slang which has nothing to do with the actual scriptures. This is extre- this is extremely concerning to do such a thing, and yet people are eating it up, which, of course, would be the people that God speaks about in Thessalonians. We're told that people will love unrighteousness. They will hate the truth. They do not have strong jaws to eat up the truth of the word, like, for example, all the teachings that I put out. People don't want to hear this stuff. They just want to hear, oh, what can entertain me? What can make me feel good? You know, what's not going to upset me? You know, they don't actually care about righteousness. And God cares that you care about righteousness, that you care about justice as much as you care about love and peace. Because guess what? He tells us peace and righteousness have kissed each other meaning that without righteousness, you shall see no peace. The wicked have no peace. So to be righteous equals you shall have peace. And this is the truth. You will know this when you live in righteousness by God's strength, not your own. Nonetheless, you can do this and you will experience the peace of Jesus Christ within you. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity, iniquity is lawlessness, transgression, sin against God. For the mystery of iniquity does already work and only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Meaning that those who cannot endure to the end, those who do not have strong jaws to take in the word of God that will strengthen you in the spirit because it's the sword of the spirit. That's what the word of God is. So what does that mean? It strengthens you so that you will not let and will not be taken out of the way because you will be stronger, strong in faith. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. In those that perish, why? Because they are able to be deceived and they are unrighteous because they receive not the love of the truth. Ah, we have the word love and truth together because guess what? Truth is love. Love is to truthfully warn people, truthfully tell them when they're going down that dark path, truthfully tell them lovingly, you're you're literally digging your own grave. This is not what God wishes for you. This is not correct. You've been told a lie that God allows this, God allows that. God lets everything slide. Don't dig your own grave. I'm lovingly warning you and telling you. This is what love is. They received not the love of the truth. Meaning that when someone bore witness to you with their testimony, when someone bore witness to you, spoke to you to warn you lovingly, you received it not, that they might be saved. Meaning you yourself say, I don't want to be saved. I don't care. I'm not interested. I want to go to hell. Sounds like fun. I don't care about God. And if he exists, I hate him. These people, these people reprobate to a point of no return. And for this cause, God, God shall, yes, correct, God. And this is in your New Testament. The people that think God, no, he doesn't do anything that's like war-like. He's not this 
uh, he's not creating, doing destructive things, or he's not basically executing judgment and justice. Yes, he is right here in Thessalonians in your New Testament again, for those who want to disregard the Old Testament, which I'm constantly also preaching out of. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Why is that? Because he's giving you exactly what you're asking for because he knows you're going to eat it up. He knows that you're going to believe the lie. That's why you're getting it. You're getting what you're asking for. Like when the Israelites said, give us a king. We want to be enslaved. We want to have the majority of our wages go to somebody else. We want to serve a man and not God. That they all might be damned Damned means destined to hell. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had what? Pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. No love of truth. Indulging in error. Indulging in it. Fully satanic. I always liken this to when you go and pay to watch a magic show and you sit in that stadium and the person on the stage is doing what's called tricks and you are paying to be deceived before your eyes. You know it's a deception. You know they're not physically doing what they're doing, such as sawing somebody in half. You know they're not physically doing it. And yet, you're there admiring it, giving it praise, worshipping it, wondering, wow, clap your hands, giving your money, giving your time to be deceived. To me, that is the most perfect example and of, of like really down to earth what he's talking about. It's like going and paying to be in a magic trick show to the, in the end ruin your whole, like have your whole life be damned because you believe not the truth and you instead were like, no, I prefer the unrighteousness. Like the guy in um, the matrix that's like, I, I prefer the, I prefer the ignorance. The ignorance is bliss. Like when he goes to eat a steak or whatever and he's in the illusion and they're like, but you know it's not real. And he's like, yeah, ignorance is bliss. This is reprobate mind. This is what he's talking about. You value your own fleshly feelings and lust over the truth of righteousness, the truth of God's judgment, the truth of the state of the world, the truth of our existence, why we are here, where we are destined to go to after this, which can only be two places heaven or hell, with God or in eternal damnation. So living eternally with God, because God literally is the truth and eternal life, or living in damnation and hell, which is death, but in an eternal body. So forever dying in torment. That is a literal choice and people willingly choose the choice to damnation, as is explained to us here in Thessalonians. So back to Amos in chapter 5, we also see him say many other things like from verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. How many times does God have to teach us and explain to us what it means to, to have integrity, to have good character, to be like him, to seek the good and not the evil? Seek good and not evil that you may live. So what? He's not saying it in vain. He's not saying because I said so. No, because rationally, logically, and, and intellectually, you can understand, ah, right, when I seek good, I actually, it leads me to goodness in life. It means I have God's blessing. I have God's favor. 
If I seek evil, I myself will, will die in my own wickedness, in my own traps, in the result of my own works. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. And again, here he's explaining how his justice and judgment works, how it's not, again, which a lot of the, this is the point that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get. It's not that they were promoting about keeping the law. Stop preaching this nonsense. Of course, the law is perfect. God did not make a law that is ridiculous and should be thrown away. It was that man's heart never changed. I've taught on this infinitum. Man's heart never changed and didn't understand that you're supposed to hate the evil and love the good. And that's why you keep the laws, because you're the kind of person that would not steal. You're the kind of person that would never think of conceiving a lie. You're the kind of person who would never want to attempt to go and murder someone or to have the, the... intention in your mind to scheme and connive to go and end somebody's life maliciously because you want something that's theirs or what have you. Of course, these things are good. This is common, should be common sense. So what on earth do you think you're doing when you say things like, oh, God's law was impossible to keep, you know, thank God we don't have to keep the law anymore. Do you hear yourselves? This is a wake-up call to understand what God's word actually means. And I'll show you again continuously in the New Testament how God never says, forget the law, forget being uh, righteous, forget being holy. He never says that once. Not any of his disciples said it. Neither did Jesus say it. Neither did God the Father ever himself say it through any of his angels, the messengers. People take this for granted. They listen to some religious person giving them some some random story and then think, oh, yeah, yeah, because God's all just compassion and we shouldn't be judgmental and we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't come across as offensive. Being a believer of the one true living God of the Bible is naturally offensive in this world because it exposes sin. The Holy Spirit within us exposes the sin of others so they naturally feel offended just by your presence. Just by you keeping God's commandments, just by you being an actual child of God and therefore you for your own personal life don't do certain things that this world approves of but God condemns, calls an abomination, just because you don't do those things nor do you support them, very important because God sees and looks down on what you support and what you condemn. What do you say? Oh, yeah, well, at least, you know, each to their own, right? I'm not doing it, but everybody has the right to do their own thing. And yeah, I'll I'll help them celebrate that thing, which is clearly them living in sin. And you think that that's you being a good believer by supporting people's sin to come across as, oh, because otherwise everyone's just going to hate us believers. Yeah, he says you will be hated. You will be hated, but they hated me first. Because the world hates the truth. The world hates Jesus Christ. He is the only name used, the only one to express disgust and hatred in a cuss word. The only name. 
It, that is incredible. There is not un, any other name in the world that is used to just express being like angry and disgusted and express literally being used in place of a foul wor- word like excrement. Jesus Christ. And yet still, people are like, oh, no, like, it's, why are you being this? Why are you being that? Why are people being? No. Listen to what he's saying. Hate the evil, love the good, and establish judgment. Establish it. We uphold it. And he says from verse 18, Woe unto you that the desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. He's talking about the day of the final judgment. When Jesus returns to judge the world, it says he would return to rule the world with a rod of iron and to make war. That sounds very different to how he first came. Yet it's the same God we're talking about. And you would know that if you knew the Bible and you read it. So he first came to defeat sin and death, to be the first resurrected from the dead unto life eternal, and everyone who believes in him and that God sent him shall be saved. That was his first coming. His second coming upon the final judgment is to judge the world. To everybody who would have had all of this time, the thousands and thousands of years that would have, that have passed until the day of judgment, he has given plenty of time for everybody to repent and turn to God. The day of judgment, the final judgment, is not something to be like joyously happy about. It's something that's going to be horrifying to see in the whole world. And what we're supposed to be doing as workers, laborers in God's field, the earth is God's field. That's why he talks about the wheat and the tares and waiting for the harvest. He's going to come back to reap the harvest. The earth is God's field and we The believers are the laborers. That's why we are told he that puts his hand to the plow of the field does not look back for such is not fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning that once you get to work, once you are a believer, once you understand the truth, once you have given your life to Christ for your old man is dead and you now live through Christ. Once this has happened, you do not look back to your old life. You don't go back to your old life for such is not fit for the kingdom. Instead, we continue to labour into that rest. We continue to labour. This life is still labouring until we get into the rest. With the new heaven and new earth and being with God. That is not like we are not entered into the rest after being saved and still living here on earth. We are in a spiritual battlefield. He says in verse 21 to them, I hate... I despise your feast days and I will not smell in your solemn assembly assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. He's not saying the, the uh, ordinances that he had instigated, right? For um, when they were doing the sacrificial ceremonies every day to atone for sins, etc. He's not saying there's anything wrong with that. He instituted them, but it's the fact that they now just do it as a routine ritual, just like you have a barbecue, a family barbecue on a Sunday or something, and everyone's just like, yeah, you know, just we're just having a good time, not getting the whole point 
of the feast days, not getting the whole point of the solemn assemblies. He's like, I despise them because your heart is so wicked. Your heart is so hardened that now you've turned it into something completely different. So this is what he says. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your musical instruments. This is worship music. Does God love worship that you worship him and sing to him? Absolutely. In the earnest, genuine faithfulness of your heart. Not these massive stadiums that get booked out and then people are just like, I don't even know what they think kind of worship this is. He's saying, take away from me the noise of your songs. He's like, you guys aren't even in a space at all to be uh, to be uh, just worshiping. He's like, but instead, verse 24 let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? The 40 years that they were being led out of the slavery of Egypt into the promised land, it was 40 years. For 40 years, none of their shoes or their clothing withered away, like they stayed perfect the whole time. He made sure they were always fed and always had water. He would f literally guide them in a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. He was present among them continually. And yet, for those 40 years, though they complained about him, though they were continuously um, attacking Moses and saying like, what is this? Are you, have you led us in the wilderness to like kill us here? Nothing was lacking of them. And yet all they ever did is complain and attack and have lose faith. They were not believing. They were in unbelief. And yet he says, not once did they offer a sacrifice and a burnt offering of praise unto me in those 40 years. So when they felt, felt like something was missing, they needed, instead of complaining about him, like murmuring between each other, why did they not pray and look up to God and say, Lord, you know, we need this or can you help us with this, etc. Or, or praise him for the fact that he is literally saving them. No, for 40 years, not once did they do that. But Verse 26, you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and tune, tune your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Now he's saying, but you did, but you did carry the statues and the things you needed for sacrificing to your fake gods, to the gods you made to yourselves, the ones that you just came up with in your own heads. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. And again, this is showing over and over and over again, how even though, for example, the tribes of Israel were God's um, chosen people who walked with God all the time. And again, that just means that they were set apart and different to all the others because they physically had a direct relationship with God, not because nobody else was worthy of it or what have you. Anytime a stranger or a foreigner came in unto them, they were accepted if they accepted the Lord God as, as the one true living God. But yet, he shows over and over again, they did not just get blessing for the sake of having blessing, they were also judged. They were also given punishment when it was due. And then he would save them again. He would always be the one that saves the day. He's the only one that can save. And that's what he's saying. He's like, none of your false gods, none of your false idols can save you. I am the only one that can save you. That's why he says, seek me on verse four in chapter five. Thus says the Lord uh, unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and ye shall live. Seek me and ye shall live. 
And as Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's two things there, refuge and strength, meaning peace and protection. Therefore, will we not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, the we won't fear and don't fear is mentioned many a time. In what point though? In the point that don't fear anything that may happen to you within this life, within this earth, because God can and will protect you. If, of course, you look to him, if he is your refuge and your strength, not anybody else. But yet... People think that also means don't fear God. Wrong. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, as we are told. So no, the fear of God is not included in the do not fear. The different types of fear we're talking about here. Again, you would only know that when you actually read the scriptures and know who he is. Godly fear is important. He is the creator of all and everything. He made you. Don't you want to know who your maker is? Don't you want to meet him one day? Don't you want to meet him in a good circumstance and not in a circumstance where you will be absolutely cut, cut so deep in your stomach that you will be hit in your loins, as it said, that your knees will go weak and you'll just fall to the ground like nothing, like paper. Know that he is the main character. God is the main character in all of this. He's the only one that is worthy of and deserving of praise and worship. Nobody else. That includes admiration, which is just another word for worship and praise. There is no human being that deserves admiration, the way people admire celebrities, the way people admire performers. This is worship. Don't be fooled by the evolution of words. Psalm 49 gives us another example of the type of fear we're talking about. Verse 16, be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise you when you do well for yourself here on earth. But he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honour and understands not is like the beasts that perish. What does a man that's in honour and doesn't understand mean? What does he not understand? He doesn't understand the truth. He doesn't understand the end result of all of this life, the final destination. He doesn't understand that it is unwise to trust in man and not in God. It is foolish to trust in your um, alliances or your treaties that you sign with other people here on earth, with valuable people who have wicked hearts. It is only wise to trust in the one true living God who does not lie, who can be trusted, who never changes, and who delivers the needy, the poor, the brokenhearted, the sick. He delivers us all out of those things when we believe in him and when we call upon him in truth. Psalm 55 verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain you, meaning put your worries unto God and he will sustain you. Does that mean just anybody? Does that mean just, yeah, whatever, however, which way you live? It's all good, man. Just as long as you give it to God, he'll sort it out. No, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Okay, so we're talking about a specific group of people here. 
not just anybody and anyone. He's talking about his people, those who love him, the number one commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. You think God thinks that that commandment was nonsense and you should throw it away? Meaning what? You should, you should hate him instead? You should ignore him? You should give his worthy praise to something else? Ludicrous. Verse 23, But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Again, Psalm 56, verse 11. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what? What man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Amen. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, because the peace that Jesus give you, gives you is so supernaturally fulfilling, there is honestly no words to express to you that there is nothing in this world or life that, will, that can be offered to you that will make you deny Jesus, which is the truth. There's nothing. That's why the ignorance is bliss phrase from the matrix person is so reprobate, is so fallen away. It's, it's so ignorant. It's so foolish that you, you, when you really know God, you will understand there's nothing. Just like when Satan tempted Jesus. It's like, there's nothing you can tempt me with that I will ever deny the true living God. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, take like my burden upon you God's uh, Jesus's burden he's saying I'm not and you'll see that learn from me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now what is he saying here he's not saying oh therefore I'm not I don't I don't care about justice I don't serve judgment I don't have wrath. No, he's not saying any of that. He's saying those that actually do learn from him, those that do believe in him, those that do come to him, will receive rest, will receive rest for their souls, will teach us in all righteousness, will bless us, etc. But that's the thing. If that's what you're doing, it's a choice. If not, then you won't experience this, Jesus. You'll experience the Jesus that returns in Revelation, which again in Matthew, is he's already likened it to us. He, he talks about his enemies to us. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So he's talking about here where you attribute the workings of the Holy Spirit to the devil, to Satan, to Beelzebub, as he says here. He's like, they're like, oh, you're casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, meaning from Satan's kingdom. Like, oh yeah, you're casting out the devils, you're casting out the demons from people by the power of the demonic itself. And he's like, you can't do that. He goes, a, a kingdom that is 
divided within itself cannot stand. It's like Satan would not and cannot cast out himself. It doesn't actually make any sense. So he's saying when you attribute the workings of the Holy Spirit, the miracles of the Holy Spirit to the devil, to Satan, to the demonic, then you are committing blasphemy. This includes, this includes when you deny prophecy from Jesus Christ, when you deny all of the prophets that is literally written to us in scripture and many of the prophecies having come to pass, that not being the only thing. It's not like, oh, it comes to pass, therefore I believe, because there are some prophecies that by the time they come to pass, it's kind of too late for you, you know, to believe. That's why the belief part is so important. And one of the key things that people must know and understand when it comes to God's prophecy, who is the only, who is the owner and author of prophecy, nobody else can reveal prophecy to you but God. He may use messengers like angels and prophets, etc. He may do this or directly in your dreams or something like this, but it's coming from him, meaning that the demonic realm cannot give you prophecy. They can pretend to predict and tell you the future, but what they're actually doing is they're giving you a scenario in which they can lead you and manipulate you into making happen, which is why usually the majority of so-called future psychic whatever, which again, that's all demonic, uh, that's not prophecy. It's like, that's why it's called being like a psychic or a medium or whatever. The majority of that is usually always focused around death. Always people getting like what they call intrusive thoughts, which is again, spiritual demonic attack in the mind because Satan is the prince and the principality of the air. He cannot physically touch you right now. I'm saying right now because there will be a time where we, he will have his time on the earth and that, and we are all going to be absolutely shocked by what this earth will look like, as in the days of Noah. Like he, it will be even worse than that, as we're told. A time of tribulation that has never been before. Again, how we know the tribulation is not already been or we're not already in it. You're still, we're still in good times. You can still eat. You can still have a bed to sleep in. You're still able to listen to this on your phone. We're still in good times. We're still in good times. When he has his time on the earth, all hell will break loose and all of the demonic will be visible. The veil will be lifted. God will take his hand off of protection that he's had on. It's literally God lifting his hand. That's the thing. What people don't understand is the fact that we can actually live without being continuously physically oppressed and abused by demons and Satan himself is because God's hand of protection is on all of us, including everyone that doesn't believe, etc. The world at the moment still has that veil. So the demons, etc. we can't see them, though they can see us, but they're right here. They're not in another dimension. They're not in another, sorry, uh, planet they're not some other galaxy they're right here in just another dimension like literally same room as you but in a different sort of spectrum of light if you will they're right here and it will come to be when god lifts off his hand that they will then actually have power to do things on earth that unspeakable things and people will be running around like what what you would watch in movies that you find so entertaining or in your horrid video games which is nothing nothing but literally pornographic and violent content that people live out through a video game it's so sad and disgusting what people do today everything is perverted in this world everything that's why people need to 
Stop pretending that everything is okay and we're going to go back to normal. There will never be a normal again. Ever since the whole thing that happened four years ago now, which has already been four years since it started, you know what, where the whole world shut down, etc. Since then, the ushering in of the B system began, the NWO, etc. And they will not stop. These people will never stop at cost of anything. It is being ushered in. Nothing will ever be the same. People need to wake up and start reading the Bible whilst you still have access to it. As I said, before all you have left is the Gen Z gospel nonsense thing. And and all you are full of now is just people that think that they know what the word of God says. And they think they read the Bible, but they read like this thin little magazine that basically just has 10 pages, 50% of which is pictures. And the rest is just nonsensical slang, blasphemous words taking the word of God and adding to it and removing from it. This is so wrong. Anyone that is doing these things, you need to very strongly consider what you're doing. It's not funny. It's mockery and it's taking the word of God in vain and you're doing things to it you shouldn't be doing, making versions of it for, quote, Gen Z, whatever. The word of God is perfect. If people do not have the... The, even the tiniest bit of self-control to sit for five minutes and read the scriptures. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but they're not worth it then, are they? What kind of effort it takes to read this nonsense, Gen Z, whatever. God's word is not here to entertain you. God's word is literally the, explaining to you everything, the reason of existence, history of our reality and the future to come. And you want it to be wrapped up for you in five minutes in an entertaining video or a magazine and expect God to think, great, yeah, good and faithful servant you are, you know, fantastic job, you did well, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. This is no joke. There is responsibility and accountability to every single life here and we will be held accountable for every single word we've spoken and uttered. Everything we've done. When the books are opened in the end, if you weren't part of the first resurrection, which is of those who gave their life to Christ, then you'll be part of the second resurrection. And as we're told in Revelation chapter 20, verse from verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works, And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their work. So for those who think that hell is non-existent before the lake of fire, it is. Hell is now, and then the lake of fire is at the great throne of judgment. Either way, you still don't want to go to either place. Can people stop trying to find like loopholes or just how much can they get away with? Either, entweder, you actually care about God or you don't. Entweder, you actually want to be a child of God and you want to be a servant of Christ. You want to be a soldier of God. You actually have had a changed change of heart and change of mind or you haven't. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is just before the new heaven and the new earth. But there is so much to happen before then, which is why I don't always focus on that one. In the book of Jude, we're also told this from in verse 5. I will put you in remembrance that though you once knew this, 
Because again, people need to be told things over and over again. They forget, time passes. So they also become like lazy. They become slothful. They also become more unbelieving. They think, oh, God's not going to return or he's taking his time. I still have more time. I can always repent. No. I will therefore put you into remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, the Lord who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and I was talking to you about that earlier, the 40 years of the wilderness, how he saved them. And in those 40 years, how, how horrible they were towards him. Afterwards, okay, after he saved them and brought them to the promised land, not everybody made it to the promised land. If you read the scriptures, you would understand that. There were many people that lost their lives within the wilderness because of their unbelief. Afterwards, destroyed them that believed not. So do you not see that? They were saved and then destroyed because they turned to unbelief. Same again, he says, for the angels, which kept not their first estate, as in they didn't stay in their heavenly home. They came down to the earthly home, which they should never have done. But they left their own habitation. He is reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So they're going to be released. These fallen angels who are reserved in great chains, which we're told in the book of Enoch, is like in the depths of the earth, like where the volcanoes and stuff are. They're like, they're like raging, raging. They have so much anger that they're going to let that out when Satan has his time, his short time on the earth. They're going to be let out so that judgment and justice can be served. They're utilized for that. They're utilized, literally, the, demon, the demonic and Satan himself are going to be utilized to bring forth judgment onto the earth because people were so unwilling to love the truth. In all this time, since Jesus Christ walked the earth, died and resurrected the third day unto eternal life, that all who believe in him should have eternal life and not perish. Because people chose, the majority, it would seem, of people will choose to still not choose him, to still not choose righteousness, to still not choose the truth, and to willingly choose their own death because they love the darkness and they love the unfruitful works of unrighteousness. Because of that, the end of the world must come. And so in Revelation, again, all New Testament telling us again, when Jesus returns, okay, th this you must mark in your mind. When Jesus returns, what kind, of, what kind of character is he bringing? What kind of event is this? From chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. And yes, this is the same John from the Gospels. This is John at this point. Uh, it's past the book of Acts and everything. He's gone through a lot of tribulations and he is in an island called Patmos, which was Greek islands at that time. And uh, or who do you call now? And uh, he received this in absolutely incredible end times vision, very similar to what Daniel saw and Isaiah, which again are prophets from the Old Testament from thousands of years ago, which I will bring to your remembrance some of their prophecies, therefore, are still yet to be, to come to pass before you go around slandering the prophets, which everyone always did. Everyone always hates the real prophets. This is so obvious. 
This is so obvious to me because I know the scriptures, because I know God's word. When I hear someone that claims to say, God told me to tell whoever needs to hear this, I already know I can switch you off because God doesn't speak like that. And God is not like that where he says, oh, this is a message for somebody today, you know, or, and it's about something so frivial, like, oh, everybody, please like and share this video. And, you know, God is going to bring you prosperity in your next season. And the thing that you're struggling with, he's going to sort it out so vague and people will eat this stuff up like, oh, God really has a message for me. And the real prophets, the real prophets getting abused, put into prison, murdered, because they come and speak the righteous word of God and it cuts you. It cuts you in the stomach. And people then, that's why in the book of Acts, so much of that was happening. People would get so angry when they would hear the word of prophecy come out of the mouths of, uh, of all the disciples, like Stephen, when he was brutally murdered by them. And yet, even in that bru- brutal murdering, he was seeing Jesus Christ. He was seeing the, 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 the uh, heavens open And he literally says, I saw the throne of God and Jesus Christ sitting on his right hand. And he called out to him and he was like, Lord, forgive them, forgive them for their sins that they are, that they were basically killing him for speaking and prophesying the word of God. And immediately he was, he was taken up. This is the thing. And people always like, no, true prophets aren't condemning, true prophets aren't judgmental or or believers aren't this and that. He tells us to judge with righteous judgment, not hypocritically. Again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not evil in Jesus's eyes because they upheld the law. It was because they did the opposite. They preached and knew the law like nobody else, but they themselves inside were ravening wolves. They did not keep the law. They were just putting on fronts. They had immense amount of pride, immense amount of envy, immense amount of uh, conniving um, idolatry within them. You know, they idolized money. They would they would ensure, like he said, like you were avoiding and not dealing with true things like mercy and, and judgment, but you were making more things important like giving money uh, to the to the temple, giving money to the synagogue, etc. That was more important to you because it was for them to personal gain. Or he would tell, you know, like like a lot of places do today as well. You know, the man in the religious building pray to to him, pray to him, kneel before him, call him father, give him some money, and then he will make sure you can get to heaven. Incorrect, wrong, reprehensible. It is Jesus alone to which you can be saved and reconciled to God. Jesus alone. There is no man on earth that you should be worshipping. And so he sends this to his servant John by his angel, who, verse 2, who bear record, bear record. Remember, I've spoken this infinitum. Bearing record is to bear witness. Again, every time someone witnesses to you, God will give you at least two to three witnesses. Also about him. You will receive those personally. So if you've denied them, then you are, you are damned because you yourself have condemned yourself. The Holy Spirit comes into this world, came into this world after Jesus resurrected and went up. He sent us the Holy Spirit as the comforter to us saints in the works to be saints here on earth as if becometh saints, as Paul says, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to teach us to sanctify us, and at the same time to convict the world 
of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Jesus, of righteousness because he goes to the Father and you will see him no more. So therefore the Holy Spirit is convicting people when they are unrighteous. That's why you are hated and called judgmental. It's the Holy Spirit working within you of judgment because the prince of this world is judge, which is talking about we will come to the end of this world and final judgment will be set because this world is run by evil. So if you love the world and not the Lord, you are God's enemy. De facto, you are God's enemy. You cannot both love the world and love God. It is impossible. So he bear record to the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things he saw. And again, you will have received various witnesses. I received various witnesses. When I look back now, I know that. I know already that God was bringing me closer to him for a good year or so before I actually had the revelation of Christ and got a Bible and everything like that. About a whole year, he just put things on my heart to stop doing that I couldn't explain. Like, for example, I stopped doing yoga. Um, I stopped uh, reading certain books. I stopped uh many things I stopped eating certain things I stopped spending time with certain people etc it was several years leading up to it but in the very last year it was um before I came to know Christ it was really like clear that it was quite quite a lot of different things I just stopped doing because I just didn't want to do them anymore there was no other reason other than I didn't want to and now when I look back I know it's that he put it on my heart then there was the encounter that I always remember, but it was such a small um, thing. I will go through it briefly, but it was so small yet so significant. And this is what every one of you will be experiencing, but you're not checking it. It's like every time somebody mentions Jesus to you and says it somehow, I used to wonder like, why would people just say random things to me? Like Jesus loves you. And I'm like, where even like, we're not talking about anything related to, to that. So like, where, where did that come from? And then like one day I was, uh, walking it was like break of dawn sun was rising I'm walking down the street and I'm about to go over a bridge and a woman goes to set herself up on this bridge to like put a little chair there bring some things out and she starts yelping like yelping out uh opera singing like really random uh break of dawn not very many people out and she sits in the middle of this bridge and she's just like opera singing kind of random but okay I start walking across this bridge and of course there's no one else around and then she looks at me and she says do you know Jesus Christ and I don't even understand the question at this point because I didn't know Jesus Christ I didn't know anything about him again I never grew up in any religions even remotely related to him or anything like that so I didn't even know how to answer this question and it was kind of awkward uh so I just like smiled at her gave her a bit of a wave and carried on walking and then she carried on opera singing and so now I'm walking down the street though but I'm like thinking in my head like what why did she just say that like and I'm like almost like making like I'm trying to figure out in my head but then I'm also also like even joking with myself in my head like Jesus Christ is like is like Christ his last name like, is he like a person? Does she mean like Mr. Jesus Christ? And then I was like, again, started to like make the joke in my head. Is, that, is it like Bond? You know, like when someone says like Bond, James Bond, is he like Christ, Jesus Christ? And so now I'm like laughing about it, thinking about it, but I'm thinking about it. God has put it on my heart. And it was such a small thing in a small encounter. Never saw that woman again. But then like another, like the part that was a really important encounter and still to this day, 
it was one of the most, it was the witness that I actually, that actually, it was the seed that was sown in me that actually um, stayed planted, right? You know how he talks about the seeds, different seeds, some of them fall on the wayside and Satan quickly snatches them up. So somebody witnesses to you and Satan quickly distracts you or makes you not think about it, whatever. Or some uh, are sowed in shallow seed and it means that initially you're all excited and you think, oh yeah, it's like a Jesus is great, you know, new, new, pers- new thing, like a phase or whatever. And so therefore it withers away because it's not strong when tribulation comes, it's not strong, your faith is not strong when people start to persecute you, etc. And then he's like, then there's those whose seed was actually um, put into good ground and it was watered and it was soiled and you were continuously strengthening yourself in the faith and those are the ones that produce good fruit. And so this encounter was the most random thing, again, can't be coincidence, totally guided by God. I know that fully now, but at the time I was, again, walking down the street. No one has ever approached me from recognizing me. This person approaches me because they recognize me because I used to put uh, do like some videos on like personal development and things like that. And this person recognizes me, stops me on the street, which is already in itself weird. And I don't like that. I'm a private person. I, I don't want, I've never enjoyed any of that. I'd rather not have strangers approaching me. Thank you very much. But this person approached me kind of like quite not like humbly. It wasn't anything weird. Um, and for some reason, though normally I would have literally just kept walking and ignoring whoever it was because it's a stranger on the street, I just kind of said hello back. They just went hello and I said hello back and then I carried on walking and then they were like walking next to me and then they stopped and said, sorry, you know, I recognise you from da-da-da. And then for some reason I stayed to talk to this person. We ended up speaking for like two hours about all the thing, like things, life, personal development things, things like why do we exist, what's the purpose of life, etc., consciousness, all these kind of things, okay? To which end, now I understand why this conversation took two hours, because at the end, when I was like, okay, I've got to go now, because I did have to go, but <laughs> right at the end of our conversation, and I've still never seen this person ever again, so if this person still perhaps even listens to this podcast, I, I just want to thank you for, for witnessing this to me, because you don't know, you don't know, the fact that this witness actually was important to me and was quite key in what was to come for me uh, in my faith later. Right at the end of the two hours, we're talking about all these different things, beliefs and religions, etc. And this person says to me, they had lots of different kind of beliefs. They had a bit of a Buddhist vibe, a bit of a Taoist vibe, a bit of, you know, new age and all that. But then they said to me, I don't really know, like, uh, there's a lot of things that I believe, etc. And they said, but what I do know is I believe in Jesus Christ. And then they went to tell me an occasion as to, as to why, basically their testimony. I don't even think this person realised they were telling me their testimony. But they were basically then explaining to me that they were under a physical, spiritual attack um, with a paralysis, when you get that literal paralysis, Thank God I don't think I've ever had this, but many people experience this and they think it's just like nightmares and it's just normal. It's not normal. You're getting spiritually attacked by demons. This person was getting spiritually attacked and um, had physical paralysis, was awake and aware but could not move, could see this being, etc. And the person then knew, again, to call out the name of Jesus Christ, but as they were trying to physically say it, like their whole 
the whole mouth was restricted to, to speak. So they were like, and this person was explaining the story to me and I literally got goosebumps everywhere. So I, at this point, know nothing again about Jesus. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not, you know, I'm just living life. And, but this story, I was like, so this is where the Holy Spirit was clearly like, you must listen, listen. This is why this person is speaking to you. And I was getting goosebumps and everything. And this person explained that once they got the name Jesus Christ out, everything ended, the spiritual attack ended and they were saved and they didn't experience that same thing anymore. Literally that conversation, I felt the need then, I anyway had to go because this person was then like, let's carry on, like, let's go to lunch, whatever. I was like, no, sorry, I have to go. And I went and it's because that was literally the whole reason why that person was supposed to approach me and speak to me, Okay. About two months later, I would have like a similar experience to obviously not to my knowledge. I even forget roughly about what this person said. Not so much. I I started to investigate some things like people who came out of the new age to understanding the truth of the Bible and things like that found it interesting. I was like, I'm always open to know the truth. So I was like, okay, maybe there's something in that. But then came a night where I was became aware in my dream. Again, I don't know how to do that. I've never had lucid dreams. I don't know how to become aware in my dreams. I don't have nightmare dreams. Uh, I don't have anything like that. I I sleep very well. I sleep like through the whole night. I don't have issues waking up in the middle of the night. I go to bed always like a decent time and I wake up early. Like I don't have issues with that. So it was very uncommon, peculiar, different for this to happen to me that in the middle of the night, I'm having a dream, I become aware in the dream and I become aware that something dark and evil is tampering with my dream. I'm walking around, I'm looking around my house and I'm noticing people are, some, something is moving things in my house. And so I'm becoming like aware of that and I'm like, oh, something isn't right here. And, th- and then I turned around and in a moment I saw like this massive trash can with flies all around it that something had been put there. And then I scream, like instantly knew in that moment, something dark is here, I am dreaming. And I instantly knew somehow in my dream to scream out the name Jesus. And I literally didn't even finish saying J or thinking J. And the whole thing ended. It was like the timing wise, it was all like happening at once. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was totally fine and good. And it was not in that moment where I was like, oh yes, Jesus Christ is real and I give my life to Christ. No, that was my first, like I said, that was the witness first coming to me and God, and Jesus being like, okay, let me reveal myself to you now directly. Now's the time. And let me see how, how you're going to respond to this. And so my initial thought that very night was, that was weird. Because I didn't understand scripture. I didn't know anything about the word of God. I don't know his character. I don't know nothing. I just was like, that was weird. And then... Following days, I would get much more spiritual attacks. In fact, when I went to then to get a Bible, which was not only a few days later, I was like, okay, let me actually get this Bible and read it for myself. Again, I don't just make assumptions. I wasn't just radically, you know, became a religious this or that. No, 
like I, I am an intellectual person. I care. I like wisdom. I like researching things. I like coming to know the truth for myself. I come to get the Bible. I'm reading it. And now I'm getting spiritually attacked way more often. Now I'm fully aware something is trying to touch me in the evening, like when I'm sleeping and I'm waking up and something's like pushing me. And I know, again, I'm waking up and I'm saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm saying it and it stops every time over and over and over again. And I'm like, there's something to this. There is something here. Like, what is this? Like, why is something now all of a sudden trying to attack me because I'm reading the Bible and all of these things. And again, I can't go in, I'm not going to go into more detail, but I just, I feel like I constantly have to remind some of these things that you understand that it is in those small encounters that might seem like nothing to you where God is actually witnessing to you. And it's how you respond in it that's going to determine whether or not you end up in eternal life or in eternal damnation. That's what it means. It says he bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So every time he's witnessing to you through people, don't take that lightly, no matter how small you think the encounter is. So verse three, blessed is he that reads and they that hear, hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So there's three things there. You've got to read it, then you've got to actually hear it, comprehend it, understand it. So to read it is to get the knowledge. To hear the word is to understand it and comprehend it. And to keep those things which are written therein is the wisdom to act upon them, the wisdom to do as the word says. Okay. And that's why throughout all of the book of Revelation, he's continuously telling us to endure. And when we endure, we will receive the rewards of heaven. So when he's telling us, when he's telling us how he's returning, he says uh, in verse six of chapter one, sorry, verse seven, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. And also they which pierced him. So those who killed him and all kindreds of the earth shall wait shall wail, sorry, because of him. Even so, amen. Meaning that everyone will literally cry and wail like from mourning by seeing his return. Why? Because he's come to judge the world, including those who are saved will be mourning because it's not going to be a pleasant time on earth, not because we're not saved, but because what we're going to see is so horrific. And we also still live here, just like Noah was still among all of the wicked. His form of salvation was on building the boat and getting on it. But you don't think that whole experience was traumatizing and was really difficult to go through? So verse eight, I am the alpha and the omega, meaning I'm the first and the last. The alpha and the omega is the first letter of the alphabet and the last. So he's saying like, I am the A to the Z or the Z. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which is and which was. And which is to come, the Almighty, meaning that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He, he always was and always will be. He's appeared in different, he would appear in the likeness unto the Son of Man, unto the Son of God in the Old Testament. And I, there's so many examples of that. People knew who Jesus was in the Old Testament, but he appeared in different ways. From the New Testament, we know he appears now in his own form, in his glorified form. But after he walked the earth, he was also in, a, in the literal physical flesh and now in a resurrected body, 
Of course, probably not looking anything like he looked when he walked the earth. Now he's glorified. So he's like, he's just like a beaming white light to even look upon. Um, which is why it says in verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. This is explaining like, this is John trying to explain the look and the countenance of God, of Jesus coming back down uh, from the sky. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shines in his strength. His mouth went out a two-edged sword. Guess what? Because his, the word of God is Jesus Christ. So when he speaks, is literally a sword. He speaks and things can be instantaneously destroyed. So what kind of message do we have throughout all of Revelation? It's the same message that he preached in the Gospels. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the end is near. He tells us in um, chapter 2, verse 5, Remember therefore from where you are fallen. Again, why does he have to remind people? He's talking also about those who are saved. No, you're not always saved. Because how long have you lived on earth? You still got to live a life. Are you upholding? your holiness in the Lord or are you did you just go back to being exactly like the rest of the world or are you set apart like it causes to be set apart being a believer of Jesus Christ and giving your life unto the one true living God Yahweh the God of the Bible means to be set apart means to be different just like to be uh celebrating and worshiping his holy days and feasts not the ones the world says not caring about the holidays and vacations and the public days or whatever that the world celebrates but the ones that he talks about just like the holy day that is the seventh day of the week the sabbath day which is today do you keep it holy or do you not again people will say about that oh no that's abolished that's the only one actually all the rest of some of them are so there's people that will say none of the laws matter but then they get caught out with that because then people are saying, yeah, but then are you saying it's okay to kill and steal? It's like, no, no, of course not. No, no, no. Oh, but you know, the, the Sabbath one, now that, that one definitely you don't have to do anymore. That this and that law. But little do people know and understand that God created the Sabbath day back in Genesis. It was before Moses wrote down any laws. And again, they're not Moses' laws. Moses was the scribe the prophet to which wrote them down it's not his law he didn't come up with it god did in chapter 2 of genesis thus the heavens and the earth were finished this is after god finished talking about what he created on every one of the days all the earth was finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day god ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made that's in Genesis chapter 2 that's before any talk of quote the law that everyone always complains and argues about and tries to find loopholes in it was already then and I'm going to say on this very briefly but because I could then end up doing three hours just on this when Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath, 
that's because he's God in the flesh. So he's confirming that nobody is above the Sabbath but himself because he is God in the flesh. When Jesus was saying, when they were like trying to trick him, they said in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 10, Behold, there was a man which was, his hand was withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they said this that they might accuse him. You see, now why is that? Because of the type of question they're asking. He knows what they, they, they should know. They're asking him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? That the Sabbath is not about that. The Sabbath is about not working for money on that day, nor making anybody else labor for money on that day. The, 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 for what you receive to sustain your life. That's the point of the Sabbath. He has never once said you shouldn't do good on the Sabbath. You shouldn't help people. You shouldn't be giving and caring. It's on the contrary. It is a one day of the week that you yourself do not do a work which you're paid for. Therefore, if you do charity and if you do goodwill, you're not paid for that. So not do the job in which you are paid for, your regular job on that day of rest, and not make anybody else do it. Meaning do not then go uh, to a store and buy things so that the person at the cashier has to serve you. They have to work for you. Now, again, even today, people say, but the person's working anyway. Yes, but that's not the point. They work anyway because we live in a world that doesn't care about the Sabbath. The point is, how do you set yourself apart and represent it? How do you honour the Sabbath as he tells us we should do? And then Jesus explains to them very clearly and still today people will manipulate this. Because why? Again, why? Because you want to get away with doing something that God doesn't want people to do. It shows your heart. At the end of the day, do you want to please him or do you not? Do you instead want to find an excuse to just do what you want to do? He says to them, what, shall man, what, sh- what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Okay, he's saying, if you see a sheep that's uh, like hurting, whatever, are you not going to try and save the life of the sheep on the Sabbath day? Or are you going to avoid that because you think that that's work? No, he's saying, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore? It is lawful to do well, to do well, to do good on the Sabbath days. Again, I give you the example from earlier. It is a selfish thing to say, yeah, well, on the Sabbath, I should still, you know, uh, be able to do things by, again, selfishly going and going to buy, purchase something for yourself at a store, making somebody else work. That's not you doing something well on the Sabbath day, is it? To do well on the Sabbath day in terms of like physically doing a work, is to labor and do it and and let nobody know what you did. To do well and let God reward you, let God see it in secret and reward you in public. And it's so easy. I, I, I just went on that briefly, but it's such a massive one that people still today, like honestly, if you implement the Sabbath in your life, I can only speak from experience since I implemented it and understood from the scripture how important the Sabbath actually is to God and that he does mean it and still there, still stands, all of them still stand, all the laws, that, like, he he dis, he blesses me because of that. And again, because I show to him that I care about the Sabbath more than I care about the making a living on that day. Meaning that I had to go through 
certain situations, scenarios, uh, risk losing work, risk losing money, etc. to confirm I cannot work on that day. Sorry. Either you will respect that or you have to then find somebody else to do the work that you're asking me to do. And because I was asking for something faithful and righteous to God, God granted that these people would have mercy on me and, and, and therefore acknowledge that I'm just not available on the Sabbath day. I said, any other day, more than willing to work. I'm a hardworking person. But on the Sabbath, I fear God more than I fear man. And I care about his laws. And that is the only day that I shall not, as he says, work for a living as in for a wage or make anybody else work for me for a wage on that day. Now I'm going to show you one example from the Old Testament that literally is showing you what Jesus said from what I just read out to you is from speaking from the character of God, the God of the Old Testament that everyone thinks doesn't exist anymore. He's very much alive and well today. In Isaiah chapter 58 from uh, verse 4, Behold, you fast, as in he's saying to his people, you are fasting for the wrong reasons, for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Self-glorification. Again, that is what the Pharisees were being uh, rebuked for as well. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. That's what fasting is supposed to be. You are supposed to be afflicting your soul in a way that you actually humble yourself. It's not supposed to feel good. Um, it, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not this fast that I have chosen? Now listen to what he says. To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry, listen, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Do you not remember Jesus saying that as well? When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was poor, you fed me, etc. Those are the ones that, I will, that will enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm reading to you out of Isaiah. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and your health shall spring forth speedily. He's talking about you receiving blessing when you actually honour uh, honor the true Sabbath. And the righteous, your righteousness shall go forth before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your reward. The glory of the Lord shall be your reward. And what better reward can you ask for? There is none in this earth. Satan can give you nothing of the like. Then shall you call and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry and he shall say, here I am. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity and your darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make your bones fat. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Basically saying he will always take care of all your needs. If you also take care of the needs of others who are in need. If you're expressing his character, if you have this good heart. And they shall be 
And they that shall be of you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. Listen, he's saying, if you turn your foot away, okay, stop doing what you want to do on my holy day from doing your own pleasure. And instead, you call the Sabbath a delight as in, oh, no, it's the day where I can't do anything. No, you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and shall honor him. Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then shall you delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And many more such examples I can give you, which I've always done in all of my teachings is I'm showing you how there is no discrepancy. There is no differentiation or uh, confusion in character between Jesus, the son of the true living God and God, the father Yahweh. There is no difference in their characters whatsoever. And there's no difference in what God approves of or disapproves of. What he's always called, called abominable is abominable and what he calls holy is what is holy. And that's a very clear line. And that's why even in Revelation, when we go back to Revelation, he's continuously telling us that he who endures to the end shall be saved and that we need to repent. Chapter 2, verse 16, repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him that overcomes Will I give to eat of the hidden manna, that is the bread of angels, and will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that receives it. And again, if we still in chapter 2, go all the way down to verse 26. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over all nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Does this sound like people don't have to fight anything? Does this sound like people don't have to be sanctifying themselves? Does this sound like people don't have to do anything until Jesus returns? Does this sound like people can be totally relaxed until he returns? Chapter 3 in Revelation, verse 5. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, white clothing. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength and you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. As in though you are being worn out, hold tight, hold tight. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my patience. Again, do you hear when God's, when, when in, in, in the Gospels, when Jesus is saying, I am meek and lowly of heart, my burden is light, um, I'm patient and all this. He's saying, you've kept the word of my patience. He's talking about the patience towards the whole test we are going through. Not patience and uh, compassion towards people who willingly choose to be an abominable um, reprobate or apostate. 
as well. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to test them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast, as in hold on to that which you have, that no, no man may take away your crown. How could anyone take away your crown? Because you can be captivated in the devil's snare. You can become weak and be seduced by it. If you're not in the word, if you don't know God's character, if you think, nah, God's not going to judge nobody, we're always good. God always loves me no matter what I do. I don't have to be held accountable for anything. Wrong. Verse 12, him that overcomes, you not see how often this is being said, him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name. So we're all going to get a new special name that only uh, God knows. And he's talking here about new Jerusalem, which will literally come down from the skies. There will be a new heaven and new earth and the, the sea will disappear. There will be no more sea. There will only be land and it will be a new land. It won't be the land the way we know it today. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Back oh, Still in ver, uh, chapter 3, verse... Uh, 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. Just like I heard his voice when he witnessed to me, when he came to me those times. And I said, yes, Lord, I want to know you. You have to want to know him. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. That's right. Jesus overcame too. He was subject to all the same things that we're subject to here. And he overcame and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Do you see the continual reaffirmation that we have something to overcome before Christ's return and that we have to hold steadfast. We have to protect our faith with our lives. We have to protect our salvation with our entire lives because we give our lives unto Christ we do not love our lives to the death, but we love him. Which is why Daniel was told that only the wise, wise will understand what's going on when it comes to the end. Because we've all read it in the word of God and we know that his word shall come to pass. In Daniel chapter 12 from verse 9, he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tested, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but the wise shall understand. Now, to that phrase in Revelation chapter 11 from verse uh, 17, we see that um, we see the angels and the saints and everybody's like praising God and says, saying, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and was and are to come because you have ta taken to you great power and you have reigned. And then it says, listen to this in verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should give reward unto the servants, your prophets and to the saints and to them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. Talking about the wicked, meaning the wicked shall not understand. They shall be angry. They shall be annoyed. They shall be wanting to attack God and saying, what is this? Who is this evil person coming to judge us? And yet 
the wise shall understand and shall await their reward from God. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and a great earthquake and great hail. When all of the curses and the plagues are being poured onto the earth, just like the ones in Egypt, everybody that is in the earth that knows not God, that is willfully ignorant, that is reprobate, that doesn't want to know God, that doesn't believe in God, that is apostate, that knew once God but decided to leave him consciously to serve Satan, all of them shall be angry. All of them shall look to the sky and not understand and think like, what is this? This is horrible. And they will curse the living God. But yet... Those who know the truth, those who know the scriptures, those who know the prophecy of what is to come and shall come. Uh, In chapter 19 of Revelation, we see what do we do? We praise the Lord. We praise him. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honour and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And here they're talking about uh, God's judgment of the great horror of Babylon when it falls, which is a literal nation here on earth, a a physical nation that will be completely destroyed and wiped out before everybody's eyes as the great horror that caused many, many to fall into sin, which is why we're told in chapter 18 of Revelation, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her, she has rewarded you and double unto her according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. And he's saying here, literally come out of the whore of Babylon, but also saying, come out of any which where, where you are surrounded by people who continuously sin, you are partaking. He says, do not be partakers of her sin that you receive not her judgment. What I said to you earlier, people that say we we should be compassionate and we should be not offensive to people by doing what? Supporting evil, supporting the wicked. When you judge God's judgment, what you don't realise is you're calling God unrighteous and you're calling the wicked righteous. So when somebody is exposed, because it says we're told told to have no, nothing to do with the fruits of darkness, but rather to expose it. So when the darkness is exposed and when people are clearly being exposed of crimes and things like that, instantaneously another form of test is done is that how do people respond to that? I taught on that in the other ones too. Basically, if you say, oh, we should be praying uh, for salvation, we should be praying for forgiveness and mercy from the Lord for the wicked person and saying to everybody who says, what that person has done is clearly wrong. That part, as in literally just saying, stating matter of fact, what they've done is wrong and they should repent. That would be lovingly, truthfully saying, what you've done is wrong. God can indeed show you mercy, but you must first acknowledge what you have done is wrong. And you've committed iniquity against the Lord and you must repent. Instead of doing that, you literally strengthen the hands of the wicked and you make them 
not repent because you support them by saying, it's okay, it's okay, we love you, God loves you, everybody sins, don't worry, we pray for you. What you've done is made the situation worse by literally making it so that they don't repent, they think they don't have to because you are not condemning it. You're not condemning what they have done, the sin. So they now don't feel the shame that you're supposed to feel that brings you to contrition, that brings you to repentance. And instead, you're strengthening their hands to not only continue in their sin, which you're literally helping them bury their own grave to the death. And instead, you are condemning God's judgment by calling God unrighteous. That is what you're doing. So be cautious and considerate. How do you behave and treat people who are exposed of their wickedness versus the people who they have sinned against, the victims Because we're not talking about small crimes here. We're talking about big crimes. Lifelong abuse, lifelong torment, lifelong abominable things. Sodomy, fornication, rape, murder. Disgusting blood uh, sex rituals. These things are disgustingly abominable. They're not small things. And you're going to say to those people that say what they've done is clearly wrong. Don't judge. You're a sinner too. And you're going to call God unrighteous for actually therefore showing up in judgment and justice for the poor victims who their whole lives had to suffer that, wondering where is God? Don't you see how you're strengthening the hand of the wicked? And you're literally shaming the poor and needy victims wishing that they'd never said anything. It is a shame. It is a shame to strengthen the hand of the wicked. Righteous prayer means to pray for judgment and justice and to pray for the redemption of the victims, to pray that their hearts are healed, that their wounds are healed, that their broken heart is fixed and that God will protect them. This is righteous prayer. And he... When he's returning in Revelation, where here do you see the message that people keep giving out that God is not, doesn't judge, God doesn't have hatred? He, he is literally saying in Revelation um, where he's giving rebuke and he's also giving like uh, acknowledgement where in which churches did what good and what they still have to work on. He literally says to the church... Um, Of Ephesus in chapter 2, he says from verse 2, I know your works and your labour and your patience. Again, we're talking about physical work, labour, meaning you have to do something, meaning you have to sacrifice things in life for God. And he's he's acknowledging to them for that in a good sense. And, And he's acknowledged them for this, listen, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, as in you cannot stand to be around those that are evil. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. And you have borne and you have had patience, and for my name's sake have you laboured and have you not fainted? So where in that do you see him saying, and well done so much for supporting the hands of the wicked, well done for not being offensive in the faith, well done for instead fitting in and supporting people doing an abominable acts that I clearly say are wrong. We see the same thing continued in verse uh, 15. So have you also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. God saying, I hate 
the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, this thing that they do, these perverted things, perverted, weird, it's this license to sin, as uh, we're told in Jude. I'll get to that in a moment. But he says, repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, it's very stern language here. And in Jude, we're told in verse 4, there are certain men crept in unawares, as in people like sleight of hand coming in, pretending like they're people of the faith and they're preaching to you a whole other gospel, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, meaning that they're already condemned because they in their own fruits are creating, the, from their wicked acts, they are creating the result of condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That is vulgarity. That's perversion. The grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And also in Revelation, we are told many a times that nothing that is abominable shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, chapter 21 of Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That means everything we see today in existence will completely go away and a brand new heaven and earth will come in and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. As I've told you before, it will come down from heaven. God and the son Jesus both the Father and the Lamb will come and reign and they will be, we won't even have a, a, a sun or a moon anymore. There will be no darkness anymore. There will be no death anymore. There will be no pain anymore. It's a completely different, it's literally returning to Garden of Eden state. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the house of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And this because we will also all be in our resurrected bodies, those who end up in the new heaven and new earth, who are saved, who are sanctified, who become saints. Um, we're also, it's literally when I go back to like the Garden of Eden days, there was no killing and death. There therefore also was not anybody, like even animals didn't kill each other and humans didn't eat animals. It was basically a state of only plant-based because there wasn't death. But we... Because we're in a world of death and destruction and a fallen world of sin, therefore so did the animals also have to suffer man's fall. It's not the animal's fault, but because we have dominion over the world and the world became into a fallen state through the temptation of Satan, etc., through the deception, through the curse, that everything is cursed. The animals are below us, so they have to suffer because of our sin. That's why they, like, they also die and they also suffer like... Deaths by killing each other, what people call the cycle of life. No, it's a judgment and curse from God. So that will all be passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things anew. And he said unto me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes 
shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowards and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So again, is he saying everybody's going to be there in the end? Is he saying you don't have to live in God's character, live by his standard in order to get to be with him in the end in the new heaven and new earth? No. He's saying very clearly everyone who is a coward, who is unbelieving, who is abominable, who's a murderer, who's a whoremonger, and he continues to list them, will not be there. Will not be there. He repeats this again in uh, verse 27. There shall in no wise enter into it, enter into the kingdom and into the gates of the holy city, New Jerusalem, any things that defiles neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, just for good measure, he says it again in the very last chapter, Revelation 22, from verse 12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do this commandment, to do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. For outside of it are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves and makes a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And so when you know and read the truth, these are the books that won't exist anymore. They won't exist anymore. As this, uh, the B system continues, first of all, they'll make it illegal for anyone to even have a Bible. And so what you can now learn, while times are good, sit with your Bible and read the word Eat it with strong jaws. Have a thirst for righteousness so that you cannot and will not be deceived when the large deception comes and when people come and say, Jesus is like this. Jesus actually said this. God isn't coming back. All of that's a lie. The book of the prophets are nonsense. You know, this was written by so-and-so. This was written by them. This is not that. Don't leave it till the last minute where it's too late. The word of God is supernatural and spiritual and it literally does a work inside you that cannot be described. It is not a book. It is the living word of God. It is Jesus Christ in the flesh, literally telling you how to attain eternal life, which is a real thing, whether you want to believe in it or mock it or whatever or not. And as we're told in Revelation 19, verse 13, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. This is Jesus. And his name is the word of God. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. The word of God is imperative to your salvation. If you don't know the word of God, then how can you know Jesus? If you don't know the word of God, then how can you know the Father Yahweh? 
you must know the scriptures. And by that, I don't mean intellectually being a scholar where you read 50,000 other books of people's opinions on the scripture. I mean God's word itself because it's him having a conversation with you directly to your heart. And he will do what no one else can do for you. Through the Holy Spirit, he will sanctify you and finish the work that he started in you. And as is so written correctly and plainly in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead into sin live any longer therein? As in, if you're dead to sin because you're alive in Christ, why on earth would you continue living therein? That is showing you the fruits of your salvation. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We died in Christ Jesus that we may live unto him. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like unto Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life, born again. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. How are we to be in the likeness of his resurrection? To walk holy as he is holy, to take the straight and narrow path, to walk as Jesus walked, to do everything as he explained us to do in his teachings. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, as in who you used to be is gone, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. As in, you literally don't even have the desire to serve sin anymore because you hate what God hates and you love what he loves. And if you knew his character, you would understand he does indeed hate things. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God eternally. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, explaining how you are to be born again. You're born again through the Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit to live like Christ lived, to live holy as he's holy, to actually go back through that entire Old Testament and see, okay, how did God want it from the beginning? What did he tell the Israelites from the beginning? How are we supposed to be set apart? How are we supposed to be living? How are we supposed to honor God? Neither... Uh, sorry, so likewise reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, as in don't let sin be that which enslaves you, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What does that mean? As in to do your own pleasure, follow your own lusts, go for that wandering eye wherever it leaves, get caught in the snare of the devil, not even trying to have the fruits of the Spirit such as self-discipline, such as patience, such as righteousness, such as love and peace, etc. Neither yield ye your members, as in your body parts, as instruments. Do not yield your body parts as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And it's very clear in life We are always serving something. So as he says, you're either going to be a slave to sin or a servant of righteousness. You choose. I think it's in verse, still chapter six, verse 
18, being then made free from sin, the bondage of the slavery of sin, you became the servants of righteousness, as in your liberty is to be used for righteousness, not for an opportunity to continue being abominable and sinful. Verse 20, when you are yet the servants of sin, you are free from righteousness. So you were a servant of death and you were free from life. In other words, what fruit did you have in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things are death. But now being made free from sin, you've become servants of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the, la- and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there's so many other parts I want to go to as always. And as always, these are not the whole thing. Again, you you must do your own due diligence and your own study. Hopefully you're going, that's why I reference exactly which scripture I'm talking about, where you go and you look and you read those chapters yourselves. You go and you look and you read the entire book. You go and you look and you read each section and, and ask and pray to God. God, reveal to me the truth of these scriptures. Reveal to me what I've till now not understood. Reveal to me and show me the truth and remove the scales from my eyes. Get rid of all of the lies I've been told. I don't want to be... Um, a slave to sin. I want to be a servant of righteousness. I love you, not the world. So in that, take the time, use the holy day, what it's supposed to be used for, and to, to, to be sanctified, set apart, different, to not do your normal labour of work to, that you're paid for on this day, nor make anybody else do it, for, do it to you, but do it to labour in love, labour in goodwill, and to Praise and glorify the one true living God, Yahweh, who is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There is no other. It is he and he is the only God to glorify him, to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to help one another, to to read the scriptures together, to learn together, to be edified, to be sanctified and also to pray to God privately, to be with him, to spend time with him, to show him you love him, show him how much you honour and care for him by actually doing and obeying his word. Not because he just says so, but because he's literally perfect righteousness and he is the author of life. Therefore, to listen unto him is the wisest thing you can do. So until next time, God willing, all glory be to my Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be his mighty name, Yahweh. And in Jesus' name, and in Jesus Christ being all life eternal, the gift of life, the sanctification, the reconnection to God the Father through Jesus Christ and him alone, be all praise and honour, who shall return to rule the world with a rod of iron, and those who love him shall rejoice. Until next time, God willing, amen.